Maybe Morgan dressed like Wolverine Maybe Dave ate his way out of trouble Maybe Dustin's diorama came in last Maybe Morgan tunneled out of jail Maybe Dustin ran for council member Maybe Dave found himself horribly miscast Find out what happened Yes, find out what happened Since when last we left our Welcome to When Last We Left Our Podcast, a bi-weekly storytelling podcast hosted by me, Morgan Pielli. Me, Dustin Diodato. And me, Dave Worth. Each week we tell true life stories inspired by the events that happened to us since the last time we recorded this podcast. When last we left our podcast, Morgan hated Halloween. Dave reached the end of his marathon training, and Dustin talked about doing a podcast about podcasts on our podcast. This week, when the helicopter is done going overhead... Morgan is afraid. Dave learns something about dog psychology, and Dustin learns to stop going to Morgan's shows. It's a good idea. I recommend <laughs> I it to anyone. I disagree. Um, <laughs> uh, was that a helicopter making a waveform? The helicopter yes. show. We discover that Dave is an audio vampire. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I the 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 machine is recording me, but it does it does not. And and on the soundboard, you can see that I bounce the lights. Like I'm uh, the the green right. moves. Uh, but barely, because watch when I talk, it yeah, goes a lot. It's, when you talk, it's not so much. It's not, and when not I talk, look at oh, those lights love me. La yeah. la la la. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, wow, it barely it barely moves. moves. I somehow I register volume. Yeah, but I don't. But the, it's like the soundboard and the Mac are like, all right, this this asshole's here, but we're we're barely acknowledging him. I wonder right. if dogs can hear you stronger than we hear you. If there are any dogs listening? Please write in and let us know. <laughs> yeah. Do you, uh, when you're walking dogs, do you find that they are extra responsive to you than compared to other people, and you just chalked it up to your natural I just, canine charisma? Yeah, I just, uh, no. No, okay. <laughs> they, they, they don't listen to me at all. No, interesting. Okay. Um, all right, do we want to get into our first story? Sure. Let's let's talk about the elephant in the room. Let's talk about the Paris attacks. We'll start things out on a dour note. Um, I read The Gothamist fairly religiously. It's, and, and that's how you found out about the Paris attacks? Um. No, actually, well, I'll, and I'll get to that in a second. Okay. I think I got, I found out about them through like Metafilter or it might have just been BBC. I'm a, I live in constant fear of everything, so I'm always looking at the news. Um, I go on the Gothamist a lot because I've, I've been in New York for five years now. And those first four years, like I never really worried too much. And I was probably a bit more reckless than I should be. And then I started going on very like the Gothamist in New Yorker and stuff like that. And just reading about all of the pedestrian fatalities that are just constant in this fine city and realizing that maybe I shouldn't be darting across the street when the lights not in my favor or, you know, cutting around cars and well, just one of, one of the things I do appreciate about Gothamist. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. Okay. One of the things that I really do appreciate about Gothamist is that not only are they very, um, uh, straightforward about like, this is how many pedestrians are getting killed and this is like bullshit, but they also are like, and you should fucking jaywalk cause fuck cars. Yeah. 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 And so I still do. <clears throat> no. I, and yeah. And I do too. And I f- have this sense that like reading about this is in some way helping me. It's probably bullshit, but it kind of gives me that feeling of like, oh, well, I'm aware of it. So the next time I jaywalk, I'm going to be extra careful as I am every time because this could be the time. Um, And that kind of lulls me into not necessarily a false sense of security, but this sort of like 
it's almost obsessive compulsive. Like if I compulsively read about these people being mashed under the wheels of a bus, then it won't happen to me. Um, I mean, now, the odds are it won't. No. Well, yeah, then exactly. Now I'm going to transition to talking about the Paris attacks. And this is a bit tricky because what happened was horrible. And it's very easy with anything like this to turn it back on us and make it about us or about New York. New York has a reputation for making everything about it. And I'm going to do just that. So I was in my favorite cut. Co- yes, Dave. I'm, what's up? I'm sorry. I, I don't, I, I'm, you disagree? I'm already on your shit so much. I don't really feel like New York has that reputation. I feel like, I don't know. I don't necessarily America agree with has it. that reputation. Sure. But I feel like New York has a reputation of feeling like it's the center of the world. So no, I think anything happens. Is it always... is. <laughs> Stop alienating everyone. I'm shooting you a look, Dave. I'm shooting you a look. I'm, no, I I don't necessarily feel that it's an earned reputation, but we definitely have that reputation. Okay. Um, so I'm a little bit aware that when tragedy strikes, that isn't in New York, um, which I'll get to in a second. So I heard about the attacks. Um, it was immediately after work, and I was at my coffee shop just trying to kill time before my show, which Dustin will talk about later. <laughs> uh, relationship with Morgan Peely and Lynn Bixon Span. I had like a couple of hours to kill, so I decided to just relax and have a nice coffee and do some drawing. And I was reading about it on, I think it was, it was either BBC or Metafilter or one of those, and it was horrifying. And it, at the time, it just made me a little nervous because we knew so little about the attack. So I didn't, like... The largest conversation I had about it was Lynn and I were chatting back and forth through Facebook at the time. We're like, do we want to bring this up at the the top of our show? And we just kind of left it open. And I think we just assumed, well, if it feels natural, we'll talk about it. Otherwise, not a lot's known. We don't know how severe this is. Let's just kind of, you know. I mean, the truth, I'm a news junkie. So, like, I found out about it on on Twitter. And um, it was at, like, 4.45 that, like, the first... Stuff started right. to come in, but the true horror wasn't evident until like nine. Yeah, exactly. So I this was about six o'clock when I found out about it because um, I had just gotten back from work, and yeah, the true horror wasn't known. We didn't we didn't know how bad it had gotten. Now in the show relationship, we had uh, a special guest, uh, Ariel Elias. Uh, I'm mispronouncing her name, I am certain, and she said something that had stuck with me. And I don't know if maybe I've heard this before, and this is just because of in light of the events. Um, But she made a comment about New York that New York is like an abusive boyfriend. It's the sort of place where you want to like it and just shit keeps happening to you. And just New York. And I feel this is probably true of any major city. It's not really unique to New York City. But when you move to a place and you've started to settle in, you become accustomed to it. Um, but you still have to deal with things like maybe not a great salary or frustrating living conditions, dating New York. We also have police brutality, also not unique to this place, um, pedestrian deaths and all of that. It's a reason to leave. And I have, we, I mean, we think we all have these friends who've left, fled to LA or other parts and then come back because they found it missed a certain something whether that certain something is something that New York actually has that is unique to this place or that just sort of familiarity that comes with having been a place over time. Um, I mean, I found it hard to move from any of the places I've lived, even before here. You know, I lived in the middle of nowhere in Vermont, and it was still hard to move, even though I was miserable there, because moving is hard and terrifying. (laughs) Staying in one place is way easier. Um, 
So and it, so that that comment that New York is like an abusive boyfriend uh, stuck with me, and especially with what had happened in Paris. I've only been here since 2010, and in that time, terrorism wasn't really on my radar in the way that it was immediately after Paris. Um, I wasn't here during 9-11, and when 9-11 occurred, the height of that whole, like the event and then the aftermath, I was in Granby, Connecticut. That's not on any terrorist radar. Nobody cares about Granby. So while I had feelings about it, I never felt personally in danger. While I had a stake in it, insofar as I was an American in this country and a voter, it never felt personally threatening to my life. Um, And even in 2010, there was the Times Square bombing, the attempted bombing. Um, And I don't want to say that by that point, terrorism had become kind of a joke. That's not really the word I want to use, but the teeth had kind of come out of it a bit, at least in America. Um, so when I heard that a car bomb had failed to go off in Times Square, I didn't really think a whole lot about it. I don't know if you guys had had a sim- what your experience was with that by that point. Well, that one was really singular. Was it a car bomb or I felt I thought it was like a bike bomb. I thought no, it was, no, it was an SUV, and they saw smoke yeah. oh, coming right. out. Yeah, of yeah, it. yeah. There, the, the, somebody else yeah, tried to blow up the, um, yeah. the 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 recruiting station with a with a pipe bomb. Uh, uh, oh, that's right. That was more recently, wasn't that, it? That I don't, I don't really recall the timeline. And that's the thing is, like, for some reason, well, the failures. The thing with the failures, I'm sorry. Uh, okay. The, the thing with the failure, failed ones is, um, what are you gonna do? <laughs> you know, like, right? You just sort of like. There's that, but there was also just. It didn't feel. I was. I didn't feel threatened by it. It had been so many years, and nothing had really happened. I think I'd grown complacent, and. I'd never lived in a place where I had been threatened before. So is your point that like now you feel threatened or? Yes. That for the first time of having been in New York, after what happened in Paris, especially in those first couple of days, I started to get really nervous. Um, Like Saturday, I was when the true horror of the events started to filter in. And that was, I remember lying in bed, just like, I mean, there's, there are a lot of terms I'm going to use that I'm not thrilled about, but this was kind of like tragedy porn. I was going through every website, every news site that I could find for any information on what was going on. Um, and it was making me increasingly nervous. And over the course of that week, I was always looking over my shoulder. I work right off of Times Square. So I was finding excuses to not, maybe not grab coffee with some of my coworkers because they like to go to that Starbucks that's right in Times Square. You know, I'm, I'm on a train. Well, but you hardly need an excuse to not do that. Well... Yeah. I like hanging out with them. They're lovely people. I don't go for the Starbucks coffee. I go for the company of these individuals. Um, uh, mm-hmm. No, I'm sorry. I'm, I've been interrupting you a lot. That's okay. That's, well, it's one reason I wanted to talk about this because I feel like this is worth discussing to a degree. But I, I mean, I, I, might, I am going somewhere. Go. Please right. go there. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So just over the course of the past two weeks, I found myself getting really anxious and on edge and just kind of oscillating between like nervous and angry, just angry in all directions without really any focus and not really sure of why. Like that sad last Sunday, I was up until four in the morning and I'm like, why am I still awake at four in the morning? Oh, right. All of the mass murder. That's, and, and that was also right after they'd released the, um, or that, that footage had come to light supposedly of the, um, ISIS with like, you know, someone in Times Square and then showing a person like unveiling a jacket, obviously made up of clip footage that they had amassed over years, but still like, I, th- I I know based on some of my friends' reactions on Facebook and my own that, like, it gave a lot of people pause. And I feel like 
I think a lot of people hadn't really thought too much about terrorism in this country until that happened. And suddenly we were reminded of, oh, yeah, New York City in particular has a giant bullseye over it and has for a long time. We just kind of stopped thinking about it. Um, Yeah, I mean, I have found that you have to think about it almost uh, coldly is not the right word, uh, but you have to think about it almost as like. That's a thing I acknowledge that I refuse to have an emotion right. about. Well, well, the comforting thing for me is imagining the odds. The most successful attack in, like, practically history was 9-11. 3,000-ish yeah. people died in a city of 8 million. And you bring up crossing the street. Well, yeah, that's, that's exactly where I was going. Right. Because the thing that kind of got me over this, like, fear hump was they released the number of pedestrian deaths so far this year, and it was almost the same number of people who were killed in the Paris attacks. And I remember thinking, like, oh, well, I've successfully avoided that happening. So, and then they released a number of just, like, gun deaths in America since, I think, October, and it was, like, 10,000-something. And, like, oh, I've successfully avoided that. Like, it is. It really is a numbers game. And... I hear a lot of people, particularly pundits and idiots like that, saying things along the lines of, you can't let the terrorists, you can't change the way you live that gives the terrorists what they want. You can't be afraid all the time. I don't necessarily agree with that because fear is such a natural thing and it's so easy to be reminded of our mortality and our fragility and that's natural. And I feel like when people fight against that, that's where a lot of the the ugliness that we're seeing now in terms of hate comes in. Because it's people trying to, to... react against that fear and find something to blame that fear on because they don't want to own that fear. And I think that fear is okay, but reflecting upon the statistics and how many other things that haven't killed me have been all swirling around me, that kind of took me out of that spell. Well, I mean, for me, like, I think terrorists and terror, terrorism are like abhorrent um i think uh, i'm waiting for you to be like but but, on the other hand (laughs) but hear me out guys no uh and i mean if anybody and then the podcast took a really big (laughs) if anybody we're a lot of watch lists now (laughs) if anybody from dash happens to be listening to this fuck you i hope you die um but at the same time like it is a like threat matrix right like no one gets out of this alive. Right. You go in and thanks, mom and dad, you made me to die. You know, like <laughs> that's that's no, that's accurate. Um, it's a very dark way of looking at it, but it's very accurate. Right. So like it's all about like there's on a long enough timeline, it's a 100 percent thing. Mm-hmm. What's going to get you on that timeline? And like for people in the West, like us who have now made it to our late 30s, um, <laughs> it's probably not going to be blowing ourselves up or being blown up. It's probably not going to be getting shot, knock wood. It might be a car accident, but it's probably going to be our hearts or our brains yeah. or cancer. And so... I'm gonna, I always assumed it's going to be that, that thing on the sidewalk that they load into. Oh, yeah, that thing that opens up and then you fall into oh, it. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's definitely going to be that thing that yeah, kills me. Yeah, that probably will be uh, you especially. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but so, like... Um, in part, that's me saying, like, well, we have less to worry about. In part, that's me saying that the entirety 
of our foreign policy has been angled and uh, and uh, the news media has been angled towards something that is very low th- actual threat. Yeah. And it always is. And I understand that reaction because I don't necessarily think that it's a cynical ploy by everyone in the media. No, I mean, to be clear, I was up until like three in the morning Saturday, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like ingesting <laughs> news because it was eminent like and this is a horrible thing to say it was eminently fascinating what was happening right like, well that's why i said not, tragedy porn a, like it really it, it does just tragedy porn it was different it was and right. it was and it was terrible and there were stories that were coming out that yeah that's of, i mean of, calling of, it tragedy porn isn't really right, it, but, but it, it is that it's a unique something new has happened in the world right. and, and that it is, means something in a, e- yeah even if i import. disagree and I do with a lot of what the reaction will be. The reaction will be there. Yeah. And informing yeah. myself about that is not a bad but, thing. But but there is a difference when you're trying to like be vigilant or whatever the word you want to give it is. Um, that the the deaths that you were referring to were a series of unfortunate events. Right. A series of unfortunate events is unavoidable. No, and that is the other thing that has given me some degree of relief is if this happens to me. I'm not going to know it. Like chances are it'll be so like chan- for a lot of the victims, they didn't know that they were the victims of a terror attack. It happened so quickly that they didn't know what happened. Yeah. Or, uh, and I mean, like there's nothing anyone can do. I, Oh yeah. You know, that's like, I'm well aware when I'm on the train, there's you're fucked. There's nowhere to go. Yeah. You can't get between those doors fast enough. There's nothing you can do. Um, and you know, there's a certain serenity that comes with that. Like, I suppose, you know, well, but like, fuck, you go, you live the best life you can, and something gets you eventually. You know, it, and, go out like and, a Viking. And the other thing that kind of gives me some degree of like uh, comfort in all this, and this is the comfort of a man who regularly is staring at the ceiling at three in the morning, going, <laughs> "I'm gonna die." <laughs> um, but some degree of comfort in all of this is studying cosmology and knowing how small i am and right. how small the timeline of my existence is uh weighed against the universe 16 billion years probably another 16 billion to go that gives me no comfort at all that's horrifying so no it, it actually gives me a great deal of comfort me, too it, it, like, it also means that isis they also mean absolutely nothing either right. everything they're fighting against who gives a shit there's a quote from Einstein towards the end of his life. I feel my insignificance and it pleases me. <laughs> that, that's a great quote. Um, you know, like, what is, yeah, what are you going to do? I'm going to live forever, guys. You are very so, significant. Yeah, yeah that would wouldn't be, be but make you living, the most significant person. Wouldn't living forever be awful, too? Yeah, I always wondered about that. At a certain point, like, after the, the Earth is absorbed by the sun and you're just kind of floating um, fountain style through space in your little bubble, maybe, I guess, because you wouldn't die from the pressure or the lack of oxygen or the cold because you're immortal right and you're just kind of floating around i was gonna gonna do this swimming motion yeah i was gonna slowly swim to the next planet that makes sense is sure i mean yeah i mean the the current theory is that the the heat death of the universe eventually happens uh that the universe is going to continue to expand forever and that the the amount of available mass will not be able to light it anymore there's also one of my favorite theories which is that pie will change Oh, and yeah. so everything that ha- like re- relies on pi to maintain its shape will start to lose cohesion. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say because that. as you go further out, I'm sorry, but pi starts to round itself off. Apparently, <laughs> it's one of my favorite things in the world. Is this crazy theory that pi will? We as have. We, but yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say this is the definition uh-huh. of going off the rails. Is it? Yeah, no, it's definitely. But like, I think, but we are getting that. We are getting there from here. Like the, these things bring us some amount 
of comfort. They right. also are completely batshit insane. Like if you start to break down like what the universe actually is and what we are doing in it, um, I don't understand the terrorist mindset and I don't understand the mindset of like global war. Mm-hmm. But I do have a theory that a lot of like the global war behavior that has occurred since, you know, technology uh, basically is in part a reaction to the fact that technology has proven that our lives are completely random, insane occurrences. Take it or leave it. Hmm. But I have. Do you think that we're in the middle of um, if we as humans or even as the planet are one like giant organism organism, we're kind of in an existential crisis? Is that your I mean, complete existential crisis. Like, why are we here? What is this? It is interesting because this is from polls that have been taken. (laughs) You think we're going to tackle that? (laughs) Yeah. Let's get on. Let's get on. Well, so, I mean, more and more people are um, losing faith and religion and atheism has gotten larger and larger um than any other point in human history that's recorded there is and a lot of a lot of it's because we are more interconnected than we've ever been before and science is unraveling more mysteries that we used to rely on religion to uh explain um there is something to be said for that i mean i know that when i had you know i've had many like like you i also spent a lot of time staring at the ceiling um i'm still considering myself agnostic but i'm well on my way to atheism and it's troubling at times but also comforting at other times i mean i'm i'm pretty fully agnostic uh i was raised by a non-practicing quaker and a non-practicing jew and like that just leaves you sort of like a puddle of gray um but like i actually skew more towards there's probably a power in the universe because this is crazy (laughs) This how could this be elsewise? How could how could this exist? It, it was it was it was it was it, 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 it burst from nothing. <laughs> At the same time, you know, like I mean, and, and and when you start to like think about it, like every particle in the universe was once in a space the size of a basketball. Yeah, we were all touching at one point. Why don't we touch each other more, guys? Anyway, um, <laughs> the the point is to say like. Um, this is this is lunacy, mm-hmm. but I don't know that, and, and that makes me believe there there's some lunatic behind it. But I don't know that that lunatic cares about me. No, no, it's more um, of like the the deist approach, of like the watchmaker set everything in motion and stepped away. Or mm-hmm. you know, I, the watchmaker is somewhere out there fiddling, but like there's no yeah, yeah. There's I, nothing, I, it's a, it's a baby watchmaker that's pounding. I just desperately wants us to move on to the next story. Yes, I do because <laughs> we'll go on for fucking ever explaining the existence of humanity but we could crack it dustin we, we, no we could finally we crack it right here now no we can't this podcast is going to be ladies and gentlemen welcome to part one of 12 yeah of if, we, uh, if you guys want to start a podcast about why we're all here i kind of do all right then then we'll record it right after let's, this one's right. done let's wrap well, up let's wrap up by saying attacks then. yeah um it sucked they are monsters, and I hate them, and I'm going to keep living in fear like I normally do, because that is my normal resting state, <laughs> and um, yeah, and I'll just try to be vigilant at all times. Yeah. I mean, I think the number, not one, thing to hate. You, the number one thing you can do is like, yeah, not that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, it's like, terrorism wants you to make this about you. yeah yeah well that's that's yeah. the thing that the victims of terror are never the targets of terror the mm-hmm. target is always across to the people who haven't picked a side yeah. that is they every terrorist attack it's because they want to start a war and so as soon as you pick a side you're doing exactly what they say right 
Yeah, I mean, it's a delightful no win. The other thing well, is that yeah. we are totally insignificant. So yeah, whatever absolutely I do, tiny. I'm all for right, the love I'm of God, on. tell I'm your story. On. <laughs> I'm moving on. Let's tell my story. Um, so the day before the Paris attacks, which was a two Thursdays ago, um, I was walking out of an apartment uh, with a dog. As uh, as got mentioned earlier, and repeatedly throughout this podcast, <laughs> I am a dog walker. Um, and so I'm walking out of an apartment with this uh, delightful little dog named Annabelle. Annabelle is this uh, is a Cavapoo, which is a ca- King Charles Cavalier Spaniel. I don't know what to visualize. With a poodle. What is a King Charles Cavalier Spaniel? So King Charles Cavalier Spaniels are spaniels. They're about um, they're like. 24 inches long, two feet long or so. They weigh about 20 pounds at the max. Um, they're the ones that have the faces that just say, love me. Uh, they they're got, always wearing a smoking jacket. They're always right? wearing a smoking jacket. Um, they're, uh, I once, um, my, my, my wife's family has a few of them, and we once uh, uh, dog sat for them over a Christmas break. And the way King Charles Cavalier Spaniels work is, A, half of them are deaf um, because it's a genetic problem. Uh, because they're inbred, like any Yeah, I mean, like, like any breed, they're, they're, they've, got their, they've got a breed problem, and this one is theirs. So these, these three were all, like, uh, one couldn't hear so good, one couldn't hear at all, and one was, could hear fine. Um, and um, it was snowing in Connecticut that the entire time. So what we would do is we'd be making pancakes in the kitchen. We would open the door. The dogs would run outside. We'd close the door. We'd make pancakes. It takes about five minutes to cook a pancake. By the time a pancake was cooked, there'd be the, just like three noses pressed against the glass because <laughs> that's all King Charles Cavalier Spaniels want of the world. They want to be inside. They love people. They're the most loving dogs in the world. They were bred specifically to be companion animals. Hmm. Um, so this is a, a King Charles Cavalier Spaniel mixed with a poodle, um, which leads to, if you get it, if you get the mix right, a high-energy dog that loves the shit out of you. And Annabelle is that dog. Um, she is so sweet. Um, she, she'll she jump on you uh, as soon as you walk in the door, want to be all over you. Like, uh, it's not obnoxious because she's incredibly tiny. Um, she has a bit of a nipping thing going sometimes, but eh, it's not. She, she doesn't really draw blood, so it's fine. Um... <laughs> And she's just super excited to see you. Lovely dog. Um, a bit of a princess because she knows she's cute as fuck, but I'll take it. Um, so I'm walking out of this apartment with Annabelle. Walked out to the street, take a left. I'm maybe 10 paces into the walk. Um, when I look up and about 30 feet out, there is a dog running right at us. And... Um, this dog, I have a theory about dogs that I'm going to now put out there. Um, unlike us, dogs don't really consider the, impl- the larger implications of the world. Um, I don't know that that's a theory as much as probably full on fact, but okay. Well, they're not going to sit here, uh, sit on, uh, on their storytelling podcast and do, do a 10-minute digression on the nature <laughs> of the universe, certainly. Probably not. Dogs, but people tend, and I've had people say things like, um, I remember this one woman once said to me as I was 
walking a dog named Zero, and she had her dog with her. She was like, what's that dog's name? I was like, Zero. She was like, why did they name it Zero? Why would they name the dog that? And I was like, the dog doesn't speak English. It doesn't know its name means Zero. <laughs> and she's like, my dog knows every word I say, <laughs> understands me completely. Sure. And I was like, dog, the dog would have to understand sentence structure, grammar, like English is a weird language. It would have to, there's a lot you're expecting of this dog, but you know, whatever. But people, I think, and this isn't to degrade dogs. I love dogs, but like people, I think, uh, anthropomorphize is an overused word, but they anthropomorphize the, the internal existence of a dog. A dog does not have a human's perceptive matrix. A dog has a dog's perceptive matrix. And what a dog's perceptive matrix usually, I think, amounts to is do my current sensory inputs make me upset or happy? Uh, and that's where it's at. So, like, Annabelle is super happy because her tummy's full and uh, the sun's shining and it's warm or it's not too cold or whatever, and she gets to go outside and sniff a bunch of stuff and it's interesting, you know, because sniffing things is dog TV. <laughs> um, again, uh, you know, their noses are their most powerful sensory input uh, anyway. So this dog is running at us, and it is not a happy dog. Uh, it's a very upset dog. Um, my immediate uh, read on it is, okay, no um, collar, no uh, leash, cuts all over its face, blood everywhere, pit bull. Every pit bull, I've, I'm going to preface this, every pit bull I've ever met has been one of the sweetest dogs ever. Like, pit bulls are very nice dogs. Pit bulls get a very bad rap because they are extremely loyal dogs. So you can get a pit bull to do just about anything if it thinks it's making you happy. And that's why they're good fighting dogs. Um, seeing this pit bull running towards me with its face covered in blood kind of threw all that out the window for me. Sure. Um, so my immediate reaction was to grab Annabelle, lift her, because she weighs like five pounds, um, football carrier and start the thing i've always been told is stand your ground against a dog like do not back up mm -hmm. uh, i don't know if that's true or if that's just they're gonna get you anyway but that's what i've been told so i make myself as big as possible and just start going hey 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 uh to be as loud as possible and this dog just runs right past me doesn't acknowledge us in any way and Which feels best case scenario. That's yeah. pretty much. Um, and uh, keeps going and then runs up onto a porch. And I'm, 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 I walk dogs in where I live, which is in Queens in Sunnyside. And uh, Sunnyside is one of the few neighborhoods in New York where you can still find porches and yards uh, in, a, in a relatively small area of it. But still, they're there. It runs up onto one of these porches and just sort of stands there. And its tongue is lolled out and it's breathing heavily. What the fuck? So, not knowing if this dog that's clearly been through something terrible in the last 10 minutes, not knowing if this dog is uh, in any way associated with that home, I figure I need to let somebody know. There's a crossing guard at the corner, so I turn and I uh, run towards her. 
and I see a client of mine actually across the street who waves at me as he sees me going by like football carrying a dog, <laughs> uh, running, and I go, hi, sorry, this is, there's a thing. How's Parker? Um, uh, so I get to the crossing guard, um, and I'm like, do you have a walkie-talkie or something? Can you call a cop? And she's like, I got a cell phone, because of course, like, <laughs> why would anything work? Um, so the crossing guard, like, dials 911 on her cell phone. I'm, I'm standing there like, I could do this. <laughs> like, I have that. She dials 911 uh, and then hands me the cell phone. <laughs> Fine. She's doing her best. We're all doing our best. Did you explain to her what the situation was before yeah, that? I was, okay. I was starting to explain it to her, and she was getting, she was on the phone trying to relay it, and then she was like, why are we doing this? Just tell them, um, uh, which was correct. Um, so I'm telling the, 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 uh, the dispatcher what's going on, and I'm very careful to be like, to be clear, the dog was not in any way violent because I know when cops hear, you know, loose pit bull, the, they'll put it down. They'll put yeah. it down. Um, so uh, crossing guard is and, and, and dispatcher uh, were talking through this in this weird three way conversation with only one of us um, on the phone. And these two people walk by us um, and they're headed towards the dog and uh, they overhear what I'm saying. And the guy says, oh, I know who that is. That's Hercules, I'm sure. Hercules is sometimes on a porch out there. You know, like his owner leaves him out during the day. It's probably him. And I'm playing this back in my head in that moment and going, this was not in any way a healthy dog. Like, this was a very badly injured animal. This was not... But... I am always thinking I did the wrong thing. So now 85% of me, like right now I'm thinking I'm doing this wrong. I'm telling the story wrong. 85% of me in that moment was like, oh, I just involved the cops and like nothing. This is, I'm such an asshole. I'm an idiot. 15% of me is going, no, you definitely did. You're right. This is not. Anyway, they walk on. Um, I finish up with the dispatcher. She says they'll send somebody. Hand the, woman back her phone say thank you and when i turn the couple that had walked by me is now gesticulating towards me in some way so i walk over to see what they're gesticulating about and it's really hard to um uh i guess uh with with physical language indicate that no, you were right. That is not Hercules. This is a very badly injured dog that is now on our lawn. <laughs> but that's what they were saying. The dog had um, gotten. There's no universal. There's no. There's no. What do you say? What do you do? What do you do with your hands right. that yeah. say that from forty yards? Um. So I walk back over, and um, Annabelle has been like a fucking trooper the whole time. By the by, um, she's she's totally into being carried. Um, and I'm still holding on to her because I don't know what this dog's going to do. And I get over there, uh, and I'm like, well, the cops are on their way, and they're like, all right. And that's when I meet uh, this couple, and I'll, I'll, I, I didn't you know, clear this with them or tell them that I was going to tell this story, uh, so I'm just going to call the guy Tony and then refer to his wife as Tony's wife and refer to his mom, <laughs> who was also there, as Tony's mom and refer to his kid as Tony's kid. Uh, not 
out of any sense of anything. I'm not going to badmouth them or anything. Obviously, they were. Uh, I'm going to spoil something for you. They were about the loveliest people I've ever met. But you know, I don't know them that well, and they don't know I'm going to do this. So um, they were not only the most lovely people I've ever met. They were also the most queens people I've ever met. Uh, Tony's uh, yard has uh, um, uh, like a, a trampoline in it, and and the American flag. And the first thing I see him doing is yelling to his wife, get the dogs inside. There's an injured pit bull out here. And um, his his mom comes out and his mom's like, Tony, that dog is hurt. Dog's probably sick. You have dogs. You should get it out of here. Ma, the dog probably got hit by a car. It's fine. The dogs will be fine. Just get them inside. It's a pit bull. So they're having this long digressive conversation. And at this point, I've, you know, uh, started checking Facebook because there's this local dog community and somebody else has posted, um, hey, Pitbull just ran by me. <laughs> um, uh, it's definitely hurt. Um, and that woman walks up. I'm like, oh, you must be uh, Liz and I'm, I'm Dave. And I post a picture to that thread about uh, this dog. And the immediate reaction from everybody on the thing is uh, that's probably a bait dog. What does that mean? Well, I don't know the degree to which this is an urban legend. Okay. But I suspect this does not happen that much. People are very concerned, though, that dogs get stolen and used by dog fighters if they don't fight to make dogs more vicious. You know, like you put in a bait dog and that makes the vicious dogs more vicious by biting this dog on the face, I guess. Um, I'm looking at the dog... The dog doesn't have visible ribs. The dog has cuts all over it, but no old cuts, you know, like somebody cared for this dog. Uh, so I'm like, I don't know about that. Probably hit by a car or something. Um, so we're talking about all this. We're trying to figure out what to do when the cops arrive. They pull up and uh, two cops get out. And the female cop is like, you know, like fairly, she's she's not fat. She's just sort of like, a large woman, mm. you know, like bulky. And then there's this like skinny, like I'm Greek cop gets out with her and they both go, Hey Tony. <laughs> and Tony goes, Hey guys. Uh, and of course they knew him because in p- part of being the most Queens group of people I've ever met, this guy used to be a firefighter. Mm-hmm. Um, and now he runs a bar. <laughs> So that is probably a place that cops and firefighters go to. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so they're they're all they're all talking, and um, Tony's like, "Well, I don't know what to do. I could, I, I, if I take it to my vet, I don't know, you know, like what we're in for with them, you know, or or what they're gonna they're gonna charge us or anything like that, or if they'll even take the dog." And uh, he's like, "Should I take it to animal care and control?" And the male cop says. ACC's bullshit. Never do anything owned by the state. <laughs> the cop said that? And I literally said, a cop said that? <laughs> and he goes, yep, the cops are bullshit too. <laughs> wow. The cop said that? The cop said that. And I, so then he and I bonded over what a great show The Wire is. <laughs> wow. Wow. He's like, yeah, that's my favorite show. It's the most accurate thing about police work that's ever been made. I'm like, wow, okay, this is great. This noted. Is, this is duly noted. Um, 
So we're standing there still, and we're still trying to figure out what to do. And the kid, the guy's kid, Tony's kid is like the most adorable thing. He's like, what happened to the dog? Because he's like five years old. And like, grandma's like, dog is sick. Um, and like, meanwhile, like, um, kid's mom is in, inside, like trying to figure out what to do. And she's finally like, I called the vet. The vet will take him in as a stray, you know? And Tony's mom goes, that's good because you can't have another dog, Tony. <laughs> Tony's like, Ma, this isn't, a, we're not going to keep this dog. <laughs> this is somebody's dog. Tony, you can't have it. Animals always come to Tony. Even if, ever since he was a kid, they always come. <laughs> and um, uh, the cops are like, well, if you want to do that, I mean, we'll take him to the, your vet. And like Tony's like, no, I got this. I got this. Um, it was an open question, though how the dog got into the yard because the yard was completely fenced in and like his own dogs couldn't get in the yard somehow this terribly injured dog got in we also were all completely doing the wrong thing with regards to this dog because the dog i mean tony put out food and water for it it did it didn't want it Uh, it was just lying there And what I said earlier about like a dog's sort of perceptive matrix, I think is true. When a dog is hurt, you're not supposed to go near it. Not because it becomes a bad dog, but because the pain kind of is overwhelming to an animal like that. And it will lash out. We were all petting this fucking dog. Oh, jeez. This dog was the sweetest fucking dog. It just was so, as far as I could tell, happy to be with people and not be scared so uh we're trying to figure out what to do and how to get this dog out of the yard and tony finally goes all right i'll take care of this he pulls his car around he gets a blanket and he pulls his fence posts out pulls the fence back, puts the dog in a blanket, and takes it to his, uh, his car. And I said to the cop, do you think I should post this to uh, Queen's Lost and Found Pets, which is a Facebook group? And the cop goes, no, no, don't do that, because um, it's going to break somebody's heart. I go, all right. I do what the cop says. But the woman who I was with didn't hear this because she did. She posted this to Queens Lost and Found Pets. Uh, quick plug for them. If you ever lose a pet in Queens or come across a dog or anything in Queens, which I'm sure is a ton of the people listening, um, Queens Lost and Found Pets are actual heroes. They rescue dogs all the time. They're part of like saving dogs' lives. It's, it's amazing. And cats, too. And they're so responsive on Facebook. They're so so, uh, quick. Being a dog person and also being out during the day, I have been a part of a few, like, reunitations? Reunions? Reunions, that word. Um, And uh, they, uh, all of them have been facilitated by Queens Lost and Found Pets. Um, So... All right, I'm not going to post it, but the other woman does. And um, 
I start following it on Facebook as everybody is sort of like, all right, I guess we're going to go about our, our day now after this totally weird, insane thing happened for about 45 minutes. So I continue on my day. I walk more dogs. I try to catch up. I text a couple of clients going to be late. Sorry. They are understanding. Uh, and I'm, you know, hitting refresh, hitting refresh, hitting refresh. And nothing is happening with the thread until about like four when a woman says, that might be my dog. Where are you guys? And it's Manhattan Animal, uh, Manhattan, uh, Animal Hospital is where they went. So the guy who's operating Queens Lost and Found Pet uh, updates the thread with uh, update potential owner on the way will we'll update if confirmed. But again, nothing's really happening. I'm hitting refresh on my phone for a couple hours. And I had a show that night. Um, so I went home after work, changed, took a shower, ate some food, and then um, got on the 7 train. And um, still hitting update, still nothing. And I have this uh, Spotify uh, uh, uh playlist I listen to when I'm when I'm going to a show that's all like get psyched music like really dorky <laughs> totally uh let's let's get amped up for this pretend that we're going to make <laughs> if it works hey um and so I'm heading in um <clears throat> and right before we turn to go underground where you can't get um service anymore I hit refresh one more time and it just says Updated. Confirmed. Which is a long way of explaining why, if you were on that particular 7 train with me, I was suddenly, I suddenly started crying while Katy Perry's roar was <laughs> playing on my headphones. Um, and the next couple of days, uh, it became clear that this was somebody's dog. Um, she had gotten, she had been adopted about two weeks earlier and had, uh, as sometimes adoptee dogs do, gotten confused and taken a runner and um, had uh, gotten into the train yard in Sunnyside and gotten clipped by a train. Jeez. And they reunited her and they're saying she's going to be okay, um, which is miraculous. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, I was, I spent the following three days pretty much glued to the news being like, what the fuck is the world coming to? But in a small way, it was a really lovely counterpoint to that because everybody who was involved in that really wanted the best thing to happen. And the, in that situation, the best possible thing did. And, you know, it also threw out my theory about dog psychology because this dog was clearly fucking, like, just in hell and was still super, super sweet. So that's what happened to me. All right. Well, I'm glad it ended yeah. on a positive note. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking right? Jeez. Yeah, I guess it's my turn. I believe, yes. Um, what about Ghost? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, I wasn't sure if we wanted to get into any other philosophical discussions before I got to go. Um. Never mind. <laughs> uh, all right. So my story uh, started, I guess, 
pretty much on the same day that your <laughs> story started, um, but did not have anything to do with upliftingness. Um, e, Morgan, you in the beginning had talked about um, uh, the person who was telling, who was your uh, uh, Anna Lee. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what was her name? Um I want to say it was like Ariel something. Yeah, yeah. Ariel alias, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was, a, it, she told a good story. Uh, and she was a, like a fun, cute chick that like seemed like somebody you would, you would hang out with, you know? Uh, and in telling her story, um, she talked about sort of being in an a, abusive relationship. Uh, and the way she described it was she never got hit, but she got held really hard. Right. I remember uh, that. And uh, it, through me because I was like, that seems like a person who I would hang out with. And I would never be in a, like an abusive relationship. Like I, I can't even wrap my head around what an abusive relationship would be like, why somebody would stay in that sort of thing. Uh, you know, cause she's like me, she should just leave. She should just get out. And she explained it. But like, I was, I found myself, uh, annoyed or feeling that there was something wrong about it. Or whatever it was. I don't, I don't know the best way to, to describe it. Um, and I sort of left there and I was thinking about like, uh, about what keeps you in sort of those relationships. And I started thinking back to when I was younger and I like, because when she mentioned um, the uh, grabbing really hard thing, mm-hmm. it made me think about like my. Uh, my grandmother used to do that for me. Like I almost never got hit, but I got grabbed real hard. And it's different because it's you're a little kid and it's your grandmother, and it's not you know a, an abusive adult. But it uh, it sort of made me think about my relationship with my mom, who admittedly did not abuse me physically, um, but it was definitely a, an environment where I felt not safe. Uh, is the best way to describe it. And, you know, I've mentioned in previous uh, episodes that she, you know, was a heroin addict. Uh, you know, she sort of regularly took money from me that she was borrowing. Uh, she regularly put me sort of in dangerous situations. Um, and, you know, like I, I wasn't sure. I was thinking like, well, that did, how did that really impact me? And I was thinking about like that I used to get migraines. Um, and I think from like, from like six to 12, uh, or maybe a little bit before 12, uh, I would get like a migraine a week, like a severe migraine. And I would get like the visual ones where like you essentially like kind of go blind a little bit beforehand and then it just ruins your fucking day. And the only way to get rid of it was to throw up. I've had those. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, I went to many doctors because no doctor could understand why I was getting these severe migraines. And they're like, well, normally I would say it's stress, but he's eight. And it's like, yeah, no, it's you're still spot on, dude. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, without saying, I mean, like, I grew up in a much less insane situation, but I, I was also a much more anxious person. And um, I... I uh, I, I got the same fucking thing. Yeah. So you you know what, what I'm referring to. Uh, and and I realized that like in she provided little to no positive value in my life. 
because I, uh, very early on, we moved in with my grandmother and, you know, my mom didn't feed me. She didn't clothe me. She didn't really help me with schoolwork. Um, she was just a person who was around that I was supposed to like because she was my mom. And despite all that, I did like her. You know, I did fight for her in some weird way. I remember, um, like, the, the, our actual, like, apartment wasn't all that big. Uh, and when I would go to bed, they would leave my bedroom door open. So I could hear everything that was, you know, that was happening. And there was one night where they were talking about uh, that she should go to rehab this is your grandma? My grandmother and my mom were fighting about whether or not my mom should go to rehab. And I knew what they meant. Because at that point, I had already known that she, you know, she was doing drugs. And, like, there was 49% of me that was like, that's the best possible thing that they could do. Um, but there was 51% of me that one that just started crying and saying, please don't leave, please don't leave. You know, to the point where, like, I was saying it aloud and they came in and, like, you know, she's like, don't worry, I won't go, I won't go, I won't go. You know, um, which was the part of the argument she was trying to make in the first place because she did not want to go to rehab. Uh, so I was supporting a bad situation. Uh, and, you know, and... I never said anything about it to her. I always sort of kind of took it. Uh, and there was a time uh, where she, you know, I, I don't remember if I mentioned it on here or not, but at, at one point she disappeared, uh, stole everything in our apartment, uh, or stole everything of value in our, in our apartment, and uh, disappeared for about nine nine months. Wow, I didn't realize it was that long. Yeah. Uh, and during that time, uh, what I now know was practically like an intervention. My grandmother and my uncle like sat me down to kind of talk to me about what was going on. You know, and they're like, well, you know, she's a drug addict and she's not a good person. And, you know, it's just something you need to know about her. And we don't know if she's going to be in your life and, you know. They said that she's not a good person to you? Essentially, yeah. Wow. Um, and and I kind of sat there in sort of a stunned silence as they sort of made their legal case against her, you know? And, and I don't remember anything I said other than at one point just sort of kind of losing it and saying, like, what do you want from me? Like, what are you hoping that I'm going to say? Like, that I hate my mom? Is that, like, is that the point of this? You know, like, and I'm sure I said it in a much more kid fashion because I'm remembering it as an adult. But that that I knew was the gist of, like, what what's the purpose here? Like, what are you trying to accomplish? And after nine months, she sort of came back. And when she came back, she didn't apologize she just sort of appeared you know they just said oh she's here and we didn't i didn't ask her where she was or what she was doing or what was going on the last nine months or anything it was just like hey how have you been and 
and in thinking back on it, I like I just took it, you know, I just let it happen and I didn't expect anything more. And I realized that like at no point did I ever feel like I deserved it, you know, because um, that's always one of those things that like throws me and I'm sure it happens. But it's always one of those things that throws me when you hear about people who um, have issues dealing with their parents or issues dealing with a, you know, an abusive uh, person is that like they feel like they deserved it. And I didn't feel like I deserved it. What I felt like was this is what I got. I better make the most of it, hmm. you know, and especially with a parent, you don't have much of a choice. This is what you got. You better make the most of it. So uh, it it behooved me to kind of make the most of it and to go along with whatever it was and to not push away. Uh, and in thinking about that, I realized that like, Oh, her and I are not that different. You know, we're both smart people who found ourselves in situations that like bizarrely made sense at the time. And eventually we got our way out of them, but we were trying to make do with the, with that thing. Cause I know for me, my other choice was don't have your biological mother in your life. And that didn't seem like a acceptable thing. And I don't want for anybody out there who's sitting there and saying like, yes, an abusive relationship is completely different. Yes. An abusive relationship is completely different. And I'm not trying to say that what I experienced was the same thing as what you're experiencing. I'm just saying I can, I can see that sense in thinking back and I could see that sense of um, where, where you wouldn't leave, where you'd try and make it work, even if you knew that it was dumb. And you were also very young and that's an age where, I mean, family is extremely important because you're still developing. Right. But person. I, but I didn't like for years, I, I could have, sort of factored her out of my life and I didn't, sure. you know, like I gave her a certain degree of respect is the wrong word, but like deference. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a line. I'm not, I, I, I'm going to butcher the, the citation if I try, so I'm not going to cite it. Just know it's not mine. Um, happy families are all like, but unhappy families are all unhappy uh, singularly or something like that. Mm -hmm. That's the point of the line anyway. And I've, uh, in, in exploring family in different ways, I think that's probably pretty accurate. Um, so like abuse within families or within romantic relationships, like it is all kind of different and it's all kind of the same at the same time. Um, you know, I can't speak... I did not get to go to relationship. I felt like shit that night, so I didn't get to go. But um, uh, I can't speak to her experience, uh, this, this woman who went through that. Um, but, you know, in general, like, I have found myself thinking, well, why'd they stay? Or why, why'd that happen? Or why, why'd that happen? And it, it's... A little bit, it's, I think, my privilege is showing, like, because um, I'm male. And, mm. like, I don't, that's not something that really enters my, my headspace. But, um, 
a little bit. It's just that it's such a singular thing. It's like being thrown into, you know, uh, something you, that, that's constantly shifting under you, you know? Like, right. like you, you, you don't really, when you're in it, you don't really have that. Yeah, and I mean, I'm not going to, it's her story to tell, I'm not going to retell it, but she did get into that. She addressed literally like, well, I know some of you are thinking, why did I stay? And it ultimately did come down to, you know, a combination of he wasn't always like this and I did genuinely love him. And, you know, when you're in it, it's like you said, it's you you don't have that outside perspective. So it's just like, well, this is another factor of them. And I know he doesn't really mean it and he's just having a bad day. Like you, it's easy to talk around and not admit yeah. to yourself what's happening. And, and it takes a long time to come to terms with like, oh. And there's also the guilt element of like, oh, I let this happen. Like, this is my fault for letting it get this far. There's any number of factors. Right. Again, my, also my privilege yeah. is and, and, and I And I don't, want to, I don't want it for a second to think that like of I course. look down on her or anything like no, that. No, of course not. Yeah, yeah. I don't think yeah. anyone would think that. Yeah. Um, but I did leave it going like, how could she let that happen? And then being like, oh, no, like... Yeah. I feel like I let that happen, you know, yeah. in some weird way. I feel like it's we've all got an example. Can, yeah. Yeah. It can happen to any of us. Right. Yeah. And also you, I mean, like, there is, without getting too deeply into my family history, because, like, in large part, my family is fine. You know, we're totally fine. But every family is, like, a little fucked up. And, like, there were things that were fucked up about my, like, really fucked up about my family that it never, that... I was 36 when some of them occurred to me, you know, like, um, uh, or just like I got into like a real legitimate relationship and got a reality check on some of them, you know? Um, uh, so there, there, there's that, but it's also like, you didn't let that happen to you and she didn't let that happen to her. Like this isn't being abused isn't isn't an act of weakness. Being abused is an act of 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 fucking awfulness. You know, in yeah. the same way, like it's somebody else's you know, choice. It's somebody else's aggression that you're right being subjected yeah. to. And we're 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 social animals. Like so, there's something there's something that you can't really train out of us. That is like. in most of us is a a pretty strong sense of go along, get along, you know, like, um, uh, a, you know, like, unless you are a pure alpha or a sociopath, you're going, you know, to just sort of like defer to a loud space and be, you're going to assume that the society around you is society. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we should be a little careful not to go too down this this whole because none of us have experienced that level or that like i mean again like we all have fucked up stuff in our families and i've also have dealt with some of that to a degree but we haven't been in that exact headspace so it is hard to speculate and i think we have to be a little bit careful about that yeah well i I think maybe i don't know do we want to do we want to call it a yeah call it a thing for today we are are over an hour yeah yeah um yeah, do you guys have anything that you want to promote that's coming up in the next two weeks? Uh, Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, yeah. 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 Have you guys heard about it? I hear great things about it. Yeah. Um, I have a show coming up. Uh, I'll be this coming Saturday, immediately following Thanksgiving. Um, I'm, it's going to be at, it's called the uh, Brutally Honest A Night of Thanks show <laughs> at QED at 7.30 to 9. All right. So, All yeah, right. and that's it. And I'm really excited to talk about personally. All right. Well, everybody, thanks for listening. 
Once again, please rate us on iTunes and come back in two weeks. All right, bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you.